Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. It's that time of the week again. It is time for FOMO Friday. Yes, we love to bring you here on this podcast the uh, the news of the week uh, so that you don't have that fear of missing out. Yes, we don't want you to feel that way. We want you to be able to be informed. We want you to be able to know what is going on around the world. And uh, from, uh, the, uh, some, from a number of reports from the Daily Wire comes this very first one, which is a follow-up to last week. A number of you uh, got back to me and said that uh, you, you just couldn't believe this story actually happened. And here's a little bit more to the story. Now, it's the story that um, of the MS uh, Society a volunteer, the 90-year-old volunteer, who was r- dismissed because she refused to use her pronouns in her email. Well, the National Multiple Sclerosis Society finally apologized for firing a 90-year-old volunteer who failed to use pro- uh, preferred pronouns while celebrating the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. In a rather lengthy statement from the nonprofit organization, the MS Society wrote that it had apologized, quote, to our longtime dedicated volunteer, Fran Itkoff, uh, after the group asked the volunteer to step down from her role as a group leader because of statements made that we viewed as not aligning with our recently implemented diversity, equity, and inclusion policy, unquote. The statement went on to say that we realize now that we made a mistake and we should have had more conversations with Fran before making this decision. Well, that's not quite a apology, is it? Okay. Well, it goes on. It says, while we acted at the time with the best uh, intentions, okay, we did not have clear protocols in place. We should have spent more time with Fran to help her understand why, as an organization, we are dedicated to building a diverse and inclusive movement where everyone is ha, has equitable access to the care, connections, and support they need to live their best lives, unquote. Okay. <laughs> um, it says, we apologized to friend directly and reached out to her to find a way to continue to work together, uh, the statement continued, in the spirit of continuous learning, we are focused on uh, evaluating our process and fortifying our learning to ensure our team members are equipped on the best ways to implement all of our policies. Well, uh, Itkoff, who's, who's been offering her time and services to the nonprofit for more than 60 years, Yeah, 60 years, was let go recently because she did not understand pronouns. Uh, Her story ended uh, up going viral after she did an interview with Libs of TikTok documenting her experience. And the former volunteer said she received an email claiming that she had failed to abide by the MS Society's diversity, equity, and inclusion guidelines, which resulted in her being let go. 
speaking uh, to to L O T T creator uh, that's libs of of TikTok, Shea uh, Rachik. Uh, Ikoff said that I was confused and I didn't know what it was and what it meant when asked about including her pronouns in her email signature. Quote, I had seen it on a couple of letters that had come in after the person's name, but I didn't know what that meant. So when I finally talked to a colleague, I asked that uh, what what does it mean and she said that it meant they were all inclusive <laughs> which didn't make any sense to me <laughs> me either uh, because it sounds like you are labeling for females not males and if you are just putting it in she her <laughs> the longtime volunteer said that she was asked to step down just a few days later and and she was completely shocked she said i couldn't believe that i had to read it a couple of times just to see if I'm getting what she said. And Itkoff told Libs of TikTok that she started volunteering in part because her husband had MS. Uh, And yet there she was. So anyway, she got a kind of sort of apology. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this one and see if there's anything more for you. Um, And, and speaking of, of things that just don't make sense, The Republican National Committee's director of security said that the explanation of the purported January 6th pipe bomb plot and the response by authorities makes no sense whatsoever. Now, this is a story that I've I've, I've wanted to bring to you for a little while now, and it just hasn't quite fit in. Um, But it's kind of a a little bit entwined in some stuff. So kind of follow me here. Kenneth uh, Capolino, uh, a, a former... Capitol police officer who went on to work as the RNC's director of security was the man who personally alerted Capitol police to the bomb near the RNC and managed the emergency response. Now, Capolino uh, told the Daily Wire in the first uh, public remarks uh, on the incident that it looked like a stereotypical IED or uh, improvised explosive device that is used by law enforcement in training sessions. Quote, any of the IED awareness training I've been to with law enforcement, that's like the quintessential training device, he, he told the, the Daily Wire. That's exactly what it looks like. His firsthand account added to questions about the purported pipe bombs, which went undetected for a long period of time outside both the RNC and its Democratic counterpart, the uh, DNC or the Democratic National Committee. The, uh, the bomb... Uh, plot is by far the most dramatic part of January 6th, but the FBI has made no progress in determining who planted them. The departments investigating the the plot uh, uh, appear to um, to have gone out of their way to avoid mentioning their existence since. And Capolino uh, says that law enforcement would be able to identify the device immediately upon seeing it. Quote, they set up scenarios like that so you know what to look for. So they have to make training devices, he said. There was no such, uh, uh, there was so much about January 6th, but nothing about the pipe bombs, which I thought was so, so strange. The bomb found minutes before protesters entered the Capitol was attached to a 60 minute egg timer 
but it had been there since the night before. I was two feet from it. Why would someone construct a device with a one-hour kitchen timer, place it 8.30 p.m. the night before if they intended for it to detonate 16 hours later, he asked. Yeah, I know. Good question, right? Though referring to uh, referred to in the media as the RNC bomb, it was actually at the neighboring Capitol Hill Club, a Republican hangout. Uh, Capolino said his guards would uh, have found it during their hours, uh, hourly sweep if it was at the RNC property. Um, a similar bomb was found minutes after the RNC bomb by uh, and was detected uh, directly in front of the DNC b- uh, beside a bench, raising questions about how the DNC would not have located it for 17 hours, despite a bomb-sniffing dog that walked by it. Uh, Kamala Harris, at the time a U.S. senator and, and vice president-elect, was at the DNC meaning there would be likely an extra security put in place, uh, Capolino explained. Capolino said it's it's implausible that the Secret Service would uh, would not have swept the DNC premises uh, before Harris entered, and that if anyone was was patrolling the DNC, that should have been found at, like, 9 p.m. But Capolino said that, that... whether or not it was a real bomb, the FBI's story that it was placed at 8.30 p.m. on January 5th is true, and at least for the Capitol Hill Club. He personally received, re, uh, reviewed, and handed over to the FBI RNC footage following the suspect. We have the guy walking through the back alleyway at that time, he said. Surveillance video identified recent, recently uh, by the uh, by Republican Thomas Massey shows, uh, or the Representative Thomas Massey showed that after a passerby informed police officers of the DNC bomb, the officers kind of dawdled casually for multiple minutes, even letting children walk in front. And Capolino said that was odd. Uh, our response to the RNC was very quick. Watching the video. Uh, of the DNC response, I was surprised at the the delay in in reaction. The DNC would not tell the Daily Wire whether, um, like the RNC, it evacuated staff from the building upon finding the bomb. Massey told the Daily Wire that residents of Capitol Hill responded uh, and reported that it wasn't until about six months ago, more than two years after the fact, that the FBI knocked on doors in the area to ask residents if they had seen anything related to the bomb, <laughs> like two years ago. Cavalino said that uh, although he provided video to the uh, FBI immediately after the event, the FBI showed up at the home of the security officer who was manning the booth six months ago to re-interview him and ask for his supervisor's information, but I never heard from them, he said. The FBI initially released only a couple of grainy pictures of the suspect, despite the existence of many more videos and photos. The still photos made it impossible for people to identify the suspect by the way he walked. And uh, and he said that I, I, I'm the last one 
to speculate, but it doesn't make sense. And it, it doesn't at all make sense. Eight months later, the FBI released video that showed that after the suspect placed the purported bombs, he circled back to the Capitol Hill Club and while directly in front of the scene of the crime, waved a police officer who drove by. He waved to the police officer. And this may be something or this may be nothing, Capolino said. The FBI has arrested more than 1,200 people for charges of minor, as, as minor as trespassing at the Capitol on January 6th using a high-tech uh, techniques like geofencing and cell phone records and things like that. But despite videos showing the suspect using a cell phone on January 5th, and the FBI official told Congress that it would not find the suspect in cell phone records, perhaps because a batch of cell phone data had gone missing. Hmm. Interesting, right? Journalist Julie Kelly reported that the Capitol Hill resident who found the bomb near the RNC, uh, Carolyn Younger, uh, worked for a FBI contractor. The news outlet Public, um, Public on Monday. Uh, that's the the news outlet, uh, quoted a security analyst questioning Younger's demeanor in the video of uh, her uh, discovering the bomb, saying that she, quote, never expressed any worry and, quote, leaned down and placed her ear near the device to listen if the timer was ticking, unquote. Well, Younger approached the RNC's guard shack uh, to ask for whoever was in charge and the guard summoned uh, Capolino. quote i spoke to her and she said i was taking out the garbage and i see this weird pipe thingy with wires coming out of it so i ran over there and there it was j- next to the garbage cans she said and he took a picture uh, of the bomb and walked towards the Capitol south metro station where he knew a a Capitol Police officer would be stationed and showed him the picture. Quote, he immediately alerted USCP command center via radio, and I used the guards uh, that I had to uh, set up a containment while the Capitol Police set up their quarantine. And then we went into the building to evacuate while that was going on. Shortly after, that was when the FBI used the bomb robot. I saw them... Uh, manipulate the robot. I'm not sure what method of disposal they used for the device, but I believe they uh, disrupted it, he said. As a result of law enforcement closing off the area, they noticed a red pickup truck full of a cache of weapons, uh, Capolino said. The truck was parked in a prominent spot in front of the RNC and near the Capitol South Metro, a highly policed area. And quote, so there were two separate FBI crime scenes going on simultaneously, unquote. The owner of the vehicle eventually identified himself as law enforcement because the pipe bomb quarantine prevented him from uh, retrieving his vehicle. And to Capolino, the pipe bomb and the truck full of weapons and Molotov cocktails directly outside the RNC and next to the Capitol office building were the most... Uh, dramatic and dangerous events of the day. Yet, the pipe bombs were barely ever spoken of. And few even knew the red pickup truck incident occurred. I mean, I I didn't. This is the first time I'd ever heard of that. Quote, that doesn't sit well with me. 
They're not even talking about it, he said. Court records confirm the red pickup truck incident and and uh, and show that that prosecutors offered a um, uh, lament plea deal to the the owner of the weapons cache, even uh, advocating for the judge to give him a lower sentence. The records show that Lonnie Leroy Kaufman, he, he's a 72-year-old veteran of the Vietnam War and Alabama resident, parked the pickup truck containing loads of firearms within arm's reach of the driver's seat, including a 9mm handgun, a rifle, and a shotgun. Also inside the pickup truck and in its covered bed were hundreds of rounds of ammunition, large capacity ammunition feeding devices, a crossbow, the with bolts, um, machetes, camouflage, smoke devices, a stun gun, cloth rags, lighters, and a cooler containing 11 Molotov cocktails modified to operate uh, like napalm. Uh, Kaufman uh, also had a gun uh, in uh, on his person. Prosecutors charged Kaufman with 17 counts, then agreed to dismiss all but one count a possession of an unregistered firearm, a federal offense, and carrying a pistol without a license, a violation of city law. They took a tone more sympathetic than that taken in the prosecution of unarmed protesters, with the prosecutor saying a sentence that he met with a woman who felt sorry for him and who was also, also had her vehicle within that law enforcement perimeter and she kind of felt sorry for him. Uh, it was cold, and they didn't know what to do. And they ended up going, jumping on the metro and going to Pentagon City and, and sharing a pizza. Prosecutors never mentioned why Kaufman had the weapons, if they were so that you know he, he did not in, intend to use them, uh, leading the judge to say that the key unanswered question for me, which is still frankly unanswered, and probably won't be to won't be able to be answered is what was the purpose of driving all the way from Alabama to DC with these divisive items in his possession well Kaufman was sentenced to 46 months in prison the department of justice was sought, um, has sought uh, different sentences uh, for at least 134 people who entered the capital that it uh, than, than it did for the man who parked a truck full of guns and Molotov cocktails in one of D.C.'s prime locations. Well, prosecutors uh, presented some some evidence that suggests that Kaufman was not a FBI plant, including that he was identified by law enforcement several years ago as a participant in an armed gathering of militia groups in Texas that he had notes about leftists and that he had tried to contact Senator Ted Cruz about election fraud concerns. Um, Cruz staff thought that he, he was behaving oddly and rebuffed him. But anyway, Democrats mentioned the pipe bombs and that the red pickup truck only in the appendix of their January 6th report on page 706. That's buried down deep, isn't it? Then Capitol Police Chief... Uh, Stephen Sund has called the pipe bombs a diversionary tactic that caused police to divert resources at a critical time, uh, leading to trespassers entering the Capitol unimpeded. <laughs> yeah, well, they were let in. So anyway, 
Capolino, who previously was a senior staff member of a Capitol Police SWAT team, said that he believes there should be more transparency around the events of that day. Quote, this whole thing just doesn't make sense, Capolino said. People need to have all the information to find out what was actually going on. I don't feel like the public is getting all the information. Yeah, I would say so. Uh, the, the, the whole pipe bomb thing is just one of those things that has so many questions. And of course, it's just getting buried. There's just not a whole lot of information out there. Of, and, and, and none of the questions are getting answered. There's just more and more questions pop up all the time about that scenario. So anyway, something again, we'll, we'll keep our eye on, okay? Here's something that I don't know. I don't know if I thought I would ever see in my time. But Fox News reports this. They, they said that a cap, uh, Catholic couple uh, in Indiana is uh, is asking the Supreme Court to hold the state accountable for, accountable for keeping their child out of their home, their own child out of their home, after they declined to use his chosen name and pronouns. In MC and JC versus Indiana Department of Child Services, Mary and Jeremy Cox are appealing a Supreme Court to the Supreme Court after they were investigated by Indiana officials for refusing to refer to their son using pronouns and name inconsistent with his biological sex. Beckett is pursu- uh, per- pursuing the case on behalf of the Coxes, arguing the state ca- courts allowed Indiana to keep the child from living in his parents' home due to their disagreement with the child's gender identity because of their religious beliefs. Notably, upon completing the investigation, the state determined that allegations of abuse against Mary and Jeremy were unsubstantiated because still, uh, but still argued that the disagreement over gender identity was distressing to their child. (laughs) Yeah. Lori Whitham, vice president and senior counsel at Beckett, told Fox News Digital that no parent should ever have to endure what Mary and Jeremy had been forced to go through. Quote, keeping a child away from loving parents because of their religious beliefs, even when the state admits there is no abuse or neglect, is wrong. And it's against the law, she said. The court should take this case and make clear that other states can't take children away because of their ideological disagreements. <laughs> I completely 100% agree with that. In uh, in 2019, Mary and Jeremy's son told them that he identified as a girl. But in line with their Catholic religious beliefs that God created human beings with an immutable sex, male or female, they did not believe in referring to him using pronouns and a name inconsistent with his biology. In, in addition, the Cox's believed their son was struggling with an underlying mental health condition, including an eating disorder. Uh, so they sought therapeutic uh, care for uh, for both. But in 2021, Indiana officials began investigating the Coxes upon a report found that they were not referring to their child by his preferred gender identity and removed the teen from their custody and placed him in a gender-affirming home despite the unsubstantiated claims of abuse 
They claim the Cox has made the child's eating disorder worse, even though it worsened after he was removed and placed in a trans, uh, trans-affirming home. After a publication, the uh, Office of Attorney General for Indiana, uh, Todd Rockita, uh, told uh, Fox that, quote, we always protect parents' rights and religious liberty. Yes, yeah, sure. <laughs> Neither we nor the Indiana courts believe that the state can remove a child because of a parent's religious beliefs, views about gender identity, or anything of the sort. Our office is fully um, is is uh, fulfilling our statutory duty to defend this state's agency and to keep an oath I swore when I took office. As the record shows, the state agency acted not on the use of pronouns, but because the child's extreme eating disorder. Yeah, that's why they did it. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, uh, th- quote, this this is what every parent is afraid of, Mary and Jeremy Cox said to, uh, through, through a uh, press release. We love our son and, and wanted to take care of him, but the state of Indiana robbed us of that opportunity by taking him uh, from our home and banning us from speaking to him about gender. Uh, we are hoping that the justices will take up the case and protect uh, other parents from having to endure the nightmare that we did. That would be a nightmare for the state to take uh, your son or daughter out of your home because you wouldn't call them the opposite of what they actually are. And I didn't know if I would see that day, but it is here. And if you think that's just simply a one-off, that that's just something that, you know, well, that was something that, you know, one one uh, overzealous social worker did or da, 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 whatever. No, that's that's not the case because not too far away there from Indiana is Illinois. And Illinois, uh, Illinois recently introduced uh, bills, um, an A bill in the state of Illinois that would change the definition of abused child to include minors whose parents object to the chi- children receiving puberty blockers cross-sex hormones, and transgender surgeries and abortions. Yeah, House Bill 4876, which was introduced uh, in in early February, also shields doctors from liability if they prescribe such treatments to minors who do not have the parental consent and empowers the Illinois Department of Children and Family Services, uh, DCFH, or FS, to... Uh, step in, and if they deem it necessary, remove children from their biological parents based on the new definition of abused child. So you see, here's here's a situation where the state of Illinois is basically saying, if you do not go along with the mental games of your children, saying that they want to be a, a different sex or whatever the case may be, then they can be removed from the home. Or they may say, hey, we, I need I, I need to get an abortion. I want to get an abortion. If you don't go along with that, then now you are abusing your child. That is uh, the definition of an abused child. That's child abuse. Can you imagine that that type of thing would pass? Parents could find themselves in even more trouble if DCFH finds any such abuse allegations to be warranted. Illinois law uh, already classifies child abuse depending upon the, the nature and severity of the abuse 
as a criminal offense, ranging from a misdemeanor that carries a maximum sentence of one year in prison and $2,500 fine to a felony that can carry up to $25,000 in fines and 15 years behind bars for not letting your child get an abortion or call themselves a girl if they're a boy or vice versa. Scary stuff, and it's things that we need to fight back against. This, this I hope the Supreme Court will take up, and again, we'll be following that along. So tell you what, there's a lot of heavy stuff today. Let's uh, let's look at a, a feel-good story to kind of uh, end, end things up today. Well, Fred Allen Smalls, uh, he's known as AKA Gramps, uh, was awarded the honorary diploma from Georgetown High School in a ceremony attended by more than 100 people. Smalls' granddaughter, um, her, her name is Berdella Kinney, worked for over a year to get Smalls his diploma and, and organize the ceremony. Smalls was born February 5th of 1918. <laughs> yeah, he's 106 years old. And in, in the uh, he was born in the Plantersville area of Georgetown County, left uh, he left school after uh, the eighth grade and moved to Washington, D.C. to help support his family. And uh, speakers at the graduation ceremony included uh, D- District Superintendent Keith Price and Georgetown uh, Mayor uh, Carol J. Rowe. And, and, and Kenny has, has been documenting Small's uh, favorite activities, including watching sports and spending uh, time with the uh, uh, the family dog and, and and even going on to TikTok. Anyway, here's a 106 year old guy, and he finally gets his high school diploma. Isn't that awesome? I would. I, hey, I would have loved to have been at that ceremony. I'd, be, I'd give him a standing ovation. But anyway, um, love love to hear a good feel good story from you if you have any. Uh, of course, you can always do that at uncommonsensepodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.